In Revelation 20, we've been making our way through major events in the Bible that have to do with the last days, uh, particularly the tribulation time and the second coming of the Lord. I was thinking this morning of a song maybe three decades ago that was very popular, a Christian song, The King is Coming, and, and I can remember that song well. And we've been singing about the Lord's return and talking about the Lord's return all my life and really since the Lord departed and went back to heaven. But uh, He is coming, and there are many reasons that we have to believe that we are just drawing nigh to the coming of the Lord. And last Sunday evening, we were in chapter 19 of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11, where we have His coming, where John said in verse 11 of chapter 19, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. My, his next coming will be far unlike his first coming. He's coming to take care of business. And uh, so we're going to continue in our study here in chapter 20, and we're going to, this brings us to the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennium, where he will literally be on this earth reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords for a thousand years. And we're going to read about that together. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read a few verses beginning in verse 1. And I saw, this is the way John often introduces the events that he is observing. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up. (laughs) I like the sound of that, don't you? And shut him up. And set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your precious word, and we pray today that, Lord, you might open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, We all feel very unworthy just to be here today, to be singing these wonderful songs of praise. Lord, to have Bibles that we can read and study and seek to live by, that we can fellowship with fellow believers. Lord, we thank you for all these things, the freedom we have in this country to assemble. And God, today we just give you praise and we pray that you would help us to make the most of these moments for your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So John begins this chapter by saying he saw an angel coming down from heaven there in verse 1. He had two things in his possession. One was a key, the key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is not the same as the lake of fire. The bottomless pit is not the place called hell. 
As a matter of fact, in chapter 19, if you look there with me in chapter 19 and verse 20, uh, John wrote about and said, The beast was taken with him, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that had worshipped his image. Those, these both, the beast and the false prophet, the two members of the unholy trinity, the beast and the false prophet were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So the lake of fire at this point in chapter 20 is where the beast and the false prophet are, but the, the devil is going to be bound for, for a thousand years into a bottomless pit. The word that's translated here is bottomless pit. We get our word abyss from. And uh, the word actually, bottomless pit, the phrase is only used uh, nine times in all the Bible. Seven of them are in the book of Revelation. So he had a, the key to the bottomless pit and he had a great chain. I just, in my mind, I'd love to see that great chain that he had in his other hand. And this angel... And it didn't say a great angel or anything like that. In verse 1, I saw an angel come down from heaven. This powerful angel captured the devil and bound him, verse 2 says, laid hold on him and bound him for a thousand years and cast the devil into the bottomless pit, then sealed the devil in the bottomless pit. So for a thousand years, it says in verse 3, uh, he would no longer, he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years would be fulfilled. So for a thousand years, he's not going to be able to deceive. I wonder what he's going to do with his time if he can't deceive people because that's what he does. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And we're very familiar with that. He, you know, he, but for a thousand years, he won't be able to do that. You know, I was thinking about this matter of deception. If you really think about it, deception, it really is at the heart of almost everything we can imagine that's bad. Deception is, the, is what gives temptation its power because the devil presents temptation as something that's desirable. He, de he deceives us. And de deception is the heart of false religions. People are blinded. People believe things that are not true. It's really... The, the tool of the devil, and, and this is worth mentioning, the only effective foolproof weapon against deception is what? Truth. And that's why we love our Bible, because it is true. If you and I believe anything or act on anything that's not true, that contradicts God's word, it's because we've fallen for one of Satan's deceptions. So he's going to be bound for a thousand years, verse 3 says, that he cannot deceive. And then to the bottom part of the last, last few words of verse 3, after that he must be loosed a bit. He'll be loosed for a season. And so let's, be, let's just think about this matter this evening of the kingdom of Christ, the thousand-year reign on earth. Look how often it's mentioned in this text. In verse, verse 2, he bound him a thousand years. And in verse 3 it says, till the thousand years would be fulfilled. And in verse last part of verse 4, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then in verse 6, the last words of verse 6, shall reign with him a thousand years. The first part of verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired. Obviously, this is the primary theme of this section of Revelation. It's the, the thousand year earthly reign of Christ. Now, 
It's taught in many passages. I'm going to look at a couple of Old Testament passages where we read about this, but I want your Bible, keep your Bible marked in Revelation because we'll spend the majority of our time there. But let's just go, for instance, uh, to the book of Daniel for a moment. One of the Old, Old Testament prophets, one of the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel will be the last of the major prophets. And in, there's a lot in Daniel's writing about this thousand-year reign of Christ. But I want to look in Daniel chapter 2. And this is when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream. And he needed an interpreter interpretation or interpretator, someone could interpret or explain to him what his dream was about. And if you look in chapter 2 and verse 31, uh, Daniel's explaining to the king what his dream was about. He said in verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. And he gives the form of it. Verse 32, he said, The image head was of fine gold. Each one of these parts of the, Im the image represent a kingdom. It says in verse 32, his breast and his arms of silver. That's a second kingdom. And then it says his belly and his thighs of brass. That's a, a third, the, his legs of iron, his feet, part of iron and part of clay. So he mentions these four kingdoms. And they represent, uh, we'll look at this again in a moment a little further over, but they represent major kingdoms of the world that are part of history. The, the uh, Babylonian kingdom, the kingdom of the P Persians, the Medes and Persians, uh, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, all three, that's the three, and then of course the Roman kingdom would be the fourth. And uh, so God is revealing to Daniel an overview of the great empires of history. And if you look further over though in that chapter, it says in verse 44, after these four kingdoms, it says in verse 44, and in the days of these kings, chapter 2 and verse 44, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. God's going to set his own kingdom up, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it'll stand forever. You know, these mighty kingdoms in their time, the Babylonian kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, the Medes and Persians under the various Ahasuerus and different kings that we read about in the Bible, and then the Romans under the Caesars. These kingdoms seemed like they were, they were conquered the world, like they would never be conquered. But every one of them have been, have been erased, but there's coming a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and that's the kingdom we're reading about in the book of Revelation. Go to another passage in the Old Testament. Go to the left from there, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. This is a passage that we often hear uh, more frequently during the Christmas holidays, the promise of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read just two verses. Again, we're talking about passages speak of this kingdom that Christ is going to set up on this earth. You know, we've operated now for these many years with the influence, the satanic influence of the devil upon culture, deceiving people. The Bible even calls him little G, God, the God of this world. 
But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. These are promises concerning the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the Messiah who would be born, and he would be a son, he would be a man. And he didn't come into existence at that time, but through his incarnation, he was given to us. And he is the eternal Savior, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Spirit. But look what it says in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. In the millennium, Jesus will rule the world as King of kings and Lord of lords. Everybody on the planet will not be saved, but he's going to be ruling, and they're going to comply. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And it will not end at, the, at this end of this thousand years. The kingdom will go on forever. So let's go back, if we could now, to uh, our text in Revelation chapter 20. And let's read a little bit about what John saw, beginning in verse 4. It says, And I saw thrones. So John sees into heaven. This angel comes down, and he has the key to the bottomless pit, and he chains up the devil and puts him in the key of the bottom, uh, in the bottomless pit and seals it for a thousand years. And then John says, And I saw thrones, not one throne, but thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. So he saw these thrones, people sitting on the throne. He doesn't tell us who all these people were, and I'm certain I don't know everything about who they were, but we know some things about it. So who are these people sitting on these thrones? They make up the government that Jesus is going to use to rule the world. They're going to reign with him, be in responsibility for a thousand years. Verse 4 says, judgment was given unto them. So imagine this world that we live in, and the headquarters is not going to be the United Nations. It's not going to be Washington, D.C. It's going to be Jerusalem, and Jesus himself is going to be king but he's going, to have, he's going to have a government established across this entire world. And all the positions of power and authority will be appointed by Jesus Christ himself. Now, who are these people that occupy these thrones? We, can, we know who some of them are. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And in verse... 27, Peter asked the Lord a pertinent question, a relevant question. Verse 27 of Matthew 19, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? What will be our reward for, for following you? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, 
when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there we know that the apostles, from the mouth of Jesus Himself, the apostles are going to be occupying thrones of judgment. And they're going to be judging, it says here, uh, the twelve tribes of Israel. So we know the apostles are going to be a part of these judges. Uh, we also know from something else that Jesus said that Old Testament saints will be a part of those who are judging and ruling with Jesus in the millennium. I'll just read this portion of a verse to you from Luke's gospel. Jesus said this, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. So they're going to be involved in the kingdom. These Old Testament prophets will have a role in establishing God's rule, Jesus' rule. But here in Revelation 20, hope you have your Bible still looking at that, we see others that John saw. In verse 4 he says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So Jesus saw the thrones. He saw these people sitting upon the thrones. He saw the souls of them, this is obviously a, re a reference to people saved during the tribulation period. Beheaded, persecuted, many ways, because they refused to worship the beast. And notice what it says at the last part of verse 4. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. They didn't just live, they reigned. That means they ruled. They were hated because of their testimony for Christ. They were killed for their testimony for Christ. But in the millennium, they're going to be sitting in places of authority, ruling with Jesus. Aren't you glad we have the Bible to look at, to answer questions for us? Now, this is not the first time John saw these people in Revelation 6. We're not going to turn to it. He said to them, he saw them, the souls of them that were beheaded under the altar. And they were the ones crying out to Jesus, how long are you going to wait to judge these who need persecution, who need to be killed? So these Old Testament saints are serving in the kingdom and these tribulation saints are serving in the kingdom. But it'll not only be those who serve in the kingdom, there'll be others who will serve in the kingdom. Now, I'm not going to turn back to the book of of Daniel, but in Daniel chapter 7, it lists these four empires again the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and then it talks about the kingdom of Christ that will come, which we're studying about right here in our text. And then it says this judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. The saints of the Most High. That would be Old Testament saints. That would also be, I believe, these. Saints, these tribulation saints, but also those of us who have been saved 
during this period of time. By the way, we're going to study that in more detail tonight in the 6 o'clock service. But notice, let's talk about this because it reveals more about those who reign in verses 5 and 6. And let's look at that together. It says in verse 5, but the rest of the dead. Now he's been talking about, John's been talking about the souls of those beheaded during the tribulation and how they're going to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. And then he says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, talking about those who, those who served the Lord, those who died serving the Lord. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6, let's read on. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. We need to talk about what that first resurrection is. On such, verse 6 says, the second death hath no power. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they, talking about those who had a, were a part of the first resur resur resurrection, excuse me, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and notice again this important phrase at the end of verse 6, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So everybody that has a part in the first resurrection shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when he says in verse 5, um, the rest of the dead live not again, what is he saying? There are those who have died, but their bodies have not yet been resurrected. And they won't be resurrected until the end of the millennial reign. These are people who, whose bodies are now in the ground but they haven't been resurrected. Their bodies haven't been resurrected. Now nobody after they die, please don't misunderstand this. Nobody after they die, their spirit and soul, none of them stay in the body. When you die, your spirit or soul either goes to heaven if you're saved or goes to hell if you're lost. But your body remains in that grave. But those who, who, lost, who were lost and they, they died, their bodies had not been resurrected yet. That'll be before the great white throne. So that's the rest of the dead. The first resurrection he mentions in the bottom of verse 5 and again in verse 6. The first resurrection will be those who are saved. And let's just think about that together. It'll be, first of all, the, the people who were saved prior to the rapture. We all have friends and loved ones who've gone to be with the Lord. And we're still alive, obviously, here. But they, when they died, they, their spirit and soul went to be with the Lord. Their bodies remained in the grave. But when the rapture takes place, when Jesus comes back, the very first thing that will happen is they will be resurrected. Their bodies will be raised. And right after that happens, those of us who are alive, I think it could be all of us here today because I believe Jesus is coming at any moment. When he comes... We, they're going to be taken up. Their spirit and soul are actually going to come in the clouds and they're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. And immediately after that, we're going to be caught up. So we're going to be resurrected. We're going to have brand new bodies. If you want to read about that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This mortal has to put on immortality and we're going to become, we have new bodies. Bodies that, that will not, are not subject to sin. Bodies without a sinful nature. It's going to be a wonderful thing. So those who were saved prior to the rapture will be raised, their bodies will be raised at the rapture. Those who are alive at the time of the rapture, 
their bodies will be raised at the same time. I'll give you a verse for that. 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They'll go up first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air. Those who are saved after, okay, we're in heaven. Let's just imagine that. We're in heaven and the great tribulation is going to start. And upon this earth, people are going to be saved. We've studied that in great detail in our lessons. Those people who are saved after we've gone up, after the rapture, then uh, those people will be raised at the end of the tribulation period. Their souls are already in heaven, but they're going to be raised at the time of the tribulation period. Uh, just give you a couple of verses. Go to Revelation chapter 7. And this is an example of John seeing these people saved during the tribulation and how they're in heaven. Revelation 7 verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Verse 14, I said unto him, John says, I said to this elder, I don't know. He said, you know, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. So these tribulation saints have been in heaven before the throne of God, worshiping God. But their bodies are going to be resurrected also. You say, how do you know? It doesn't specifically say that. Because look in verse 5 uh, where it says in verse, verse 5, but the, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. But this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath the part in the first resurrection. They shall be priests of God. And So these people that have been part of, the, of those who are saved during the tribulation period, they're going to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years, which tells me what? They had to be raised. They had to be, their bodies had to be resurrected. They're all a part of this, what the Bible calls the first resurrection. All, all the people who were saved, the pre, those who were saved in this lifetime, those who were saved during the tribulation period, all of them are part of what the Bible calls the first resurrection. And he uses this beautiful language in verse 6 to describe those people. Blessed and holy, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. You know, those who have part in the first resurrection, whether it's tribulation saints, people that are saved in our lifetime, they only die once. When they die, their body goes into the grave. When they're res resurrected, they're resurrected forever. They have these immortal bodies. And it says, it says in a couple of things about these people. It says in verse 6, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Everyone who has a part in the first resurrection will be a candidate to reign with Christ in the first resurrection. Now I'm glad that the, I'm glad that those who preceded us will be able to reign with Christ in the first resurrection or in, in the his millennial reign because they're going to be in the first resurrection. I'm glad 
even the Old Testament saints are going to be able to reign with him. It would be wonderful to see them in places of judgment and responsibility. I'm glad those saved in the tribulation period who will be, their bodies will be resurrected and they'll be able to serve with Christ for a thousand years. But I'm also glad that we who sit here today, because we will be a part of the first resurrection, we also will be candidates to serve with him for a thousand years. And we'll, again, we'll talk more about that in our service tonight. I hope you'll make a special effort to be here at 6 o'clock for that as we talk more about that subject. But look what it says here in verse 6. I want to mention this because it's in our text. Blessed and holy, it says, is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such. Those of us who had a part in the first resurrection, on such, the second death hath no power. The second death hath no power power over those in the first resurrection. They died once. We've heard this said before. It's true. You know, we died once. We were born twice. We were born natural. We were born again. We die once. And then we have a spiritual resurrection. The unsaved are born once. And yet they die twice. They die a natural death. If they're, everybody's going to die a natural death. But the unsaved are going to die twice. They're going to die their natural death, but they're also going to die spiritually forever. Just look across the page to Revelation 21, or for me it's just across the page, and there's a reference to these people in verse 8 of chapter 21. It says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth for with fire and brimstone, which is what? The second death. We who are saved will only die once. Those that are unsaved will die twice. They'll die a natural death, but they're going to have part of the second death. And they're, and they're going to be resurrected one day to stand before the judgment seat of, or the great white throne judgment. We're not going to talk about that today. Let's get back to Revelation chapter 20 and look at the last part near the last part of our text, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. I want you to pay special attention to this today. After the thousand years are expired, they're going to let, lo let loose the devil out of his prison. Verse 8 says, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So after the thousand-year reign is over, fast forward in your mind, a thousand years have come and gone. We've reigned with Christ on this earth. And they're going to loose the devil for a brief period of time, and he's going to resume doing what he does. He's going to go out to deceive people. And you may wonder, well, who's, he going to, who's left to deceive? Well, first of all, there will be those who survived the great tribulation, the coming of Christ. There will also be all these people, children born during a thousand years on this planet. A thousand years. The part that's hard to wrap your mind around, hard for me to wrap my mind around, is why... Those people would even be, if I could use this word, it's probably not a word, deceivable. How could you deceive them? They've been under the reign of Christ for a thousand years. 
They've watched him as he's ruled and reigned on this planet for a thousand years, for a millennium. They've witnessed him firsthand. I would think in my mind, in my natural mind, that everyone on the planet would want to be one of his followers. Wouldn't you? Everyone on the planet would want to believe on him. But you know, this is a picture, and I think it's important. That's why I urge you to listen to this. It's a picture of really how depraved the human heart is. Because look at what it was. Just think about how it was during the time of Christ. Thinking about all the multitudes of people who followed Jesus around, who saw him heal their loved ones, who heard his teaching, who witnessed his miracles, who heard of the good news of the gospel, even his own family, Jesus' own family rejected him. They would not accept him. They would not submit to him. And you and I know people. Maybe you're one of those people. You've seen firsthand what God has done in people's lives. Maybe you've seen your mom or your dad converted, or maybe a brother or sister, someone you know. You've seen someone that Jesus Christ is real to them and has changed their life, and yet people seeing that still reject the call to come to Jesus. Right? They see it firsthand, and yet they do not follow. These, these inhabitants of the earth, during the thousand-year reign, they've lived for ten centuries. Think about that. Living and seeing what Jesus Christ can do and how he is and seeing his followers and how they are under his leadership, his lordship, his control. A world where sin is not tolerated. No sin will be tolerated. Deception is absent. The devil has been bound for a thousand years. And what this speaks loudly to me about, for one thing is how good, a good environment and good works does not save a person. We're talking about the closest thing to a perfect world that you can have in the millennial reign. And, and so you say, well, how many people at the end of that thousand years will side with the devil? So when the devil's loosed, he goes out to deceive these people. He instantly goes out to try to deceive these people. And I would think every one of them would say, you're crazy. I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to follow Jesus. How many people will join in battle against Christ? Look what it says at the last of verse 8. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. The number of people, even after the thousand year reign, the number of people who would prefer to follow the deception of the devil than to follow Jesus Christ will be as the sand of the sea. And notice what they're going to do in verse 8. It says that they're, they're, they're gathering together to battle. And in verse 9 it says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, talking about Jerusalem, these people came from all over the world, from the four corners of the earth, the Bible says. They came. And they went up upon the hill of Zion, where the city of Jerusalem sits, they surrounded, they compassed the camp of the saints. Jesus himself is ruling 
in Jerusalem. And these deceived people surround Israel and surround Jerusalem, but nobody has to lift a finger because look what verse 9 says. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. He took care of them. And then verse 10 says this, and we'll end with this. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, I I find this subject of the millennial reign of Christ very fascinating. As I said in the beginning, there's a lot about it, I'm sure. I'm positive. I don't know or I don't understand. But as I've often said in this series, I, I know enough about what I know about that makes it pretty exciting. And I just want to conclude with with this, thinking about this. First of all, when I talk about the first resurrection, that being those who are saved, they may have been saved in, they may have been believers in the Messiah even before he came. People did put their faith in the Messiah. They may be people that got saved during the lifetime of Jesus. They may be people that have been saved during this this last 2,000 years since Christ raised from the dead. But all these people have one thing in common. They've, been, they've put their faith in the Messiah. They've trusted in Jesus Christ. And all of them are going to be raised. Right? All of them are. But I ask you, does that describe you? Are you a part of those? If you're part of that group... You you may not like to think about this, but when we read in Revelation 21, I'm not going to read it again, we read in Revelation 21 about those who who include all lost people. You say, how do you know it includes everybody? It says all liars, every one of us have been liars, every one of us have. After everybody that's ever lived, that's not saved, they're going to have the second death. And that's when they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. So I ask you today, and I ask you, expressly because I care about you. Do you know you're saved? Do you know you're going to go to heaven? You know, think, I don't know of a subject in the Bible, I don't know of a subject in the Bible that would cause me, if I was not saved, to be more concerned about my lost condition than this matter of the second coming. And knowing that when he comes, there'll be no more opportunity for people who've had the opportunity to be saved. Their their doom will be sealed. And if you're not sure you're saved, if he's not real to you today, you ought to say that I need to make sure I'm saved. You know, when, when Noah was preparing for the great flood, he warned people. He warned people. And that's what we're doing. Not only me as a preacher, but us as we go into the, our neighbors and friends, we're warning them. We're warning people to flee from the wrath that's going to come. And so if you're not saved, you ought to get saved. You ought to be a part of that first resurrection. But then I think about those who are saved. What's it going to mean to us to reign with him? That's the part we're going to really emphasize tonight in our services. But I, I just want to just challenge you with a thought. You know, reigning with, with him doesn't mean you get to be the boss. It means he's the boss. And you get to do what he wants you to do. And you're going to be thrilled to do it, right? But let me ask you a very serious question. 
if you don't want him reigning in your life now, what makes you think you'll want him reigning in your life then? You see, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, but he's already king. We're his subjects. We are his subjects. We're not, we're not unhappy about it. We're not grumbling about it. We're not, we're not criticizing him. He, we, we're delighted to be his subjects. We, I'm not saying we always do everything perfectly, but we want to please him with our life. Right? It's a major thing to our life. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, I just don't really want Jesus to reign in my life, you've got a spiritual problem. You've got a serious problem. And to think that somehow then you're going to be delighted to serve him when now you don't even care to serve him, I think it's worth pondering. I think it's worth thinking about. We ought to welcome his reign in our life, giving us direction. We cry out for that every day, don't we? Lord, show me what to do. Give me wisdom. You know why? Because we trust him. And we know he wants to lead us in our life. And for a thousand years, it's going to be something, isn't it? A thousand years with no deceiver running around. No lying. No thieving. No, no reason to carry a gun. Right? For a thousand years. Isn't it going to be wonderful? No fake news. Only the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. What a time it's going to be. And you know what? It may be just right around the corner. Just right around the corner. I beseech you. I beg you. If you're not saved, quit putting it off. Quit procrastinating. As we heard this morning, it's pride that keeps us from coming to Christ. It's pride that keeps us wanting our own way. Slay the pride in your own heart. Humble yourself and come to Jesus Christ. Come today, I'll meet you right here. We'll talk together. If you're saved, you ought to be saying, Lord, I want to serve you one day. I don't deserve it, but I want to serve with you forever. And that starts now, amen? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you so much of this portion of Scripture, and we thank you for the witness of your Word throughout the Scriptures, the Old Testament, the, the prophets, the book of Psalms, the Gospels, the epistles, the witness throughout the Scripture to this wonderful reality of the reign of Christ on this earth for a thousand years. Lord, we want to be a part of that. We want to serve with you. God, we want you to reign in our lives, not just, though, in the thousand years. We want you to reign in our lives today. We want to gladly su submit ourselves to you, be subjects of the King. God, I pray today for people in this building, people that are not saved or not sure they're saved, never settle that matter. I pray that you'd work in hearts today.